0: Because as Americans, we're terrible at waiting, right? Well, this morning, what we're going to be looking at is what do we do when we're tired of waiting? So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. You know, excuse me, Genesis 16 is where we're going to be this morning. As we do this, I want to encourage you, I'm hopefully not going to make you just sit around in the quiet today. But, you know, we really are bad as a society about waiting. We hate waiting for anything. Now, it's always been that way, or the Bible wouldn't talk so much about patience. You know, humans have always been tired of waiting for things. We've always wanted stuff instantly. But I would argue that, that our modern society and the, the pace of technology has only made it worse. We can have anything we want delivered in a matter of days. Uh, you know, If something takes longer than the two-day Prime shipping that we're expecting, you know, that drives us crazy. We'll, we'll sit there. We can have something door dashed to our door in like an hour or less. You know, we have this instant ability. Like Even this morning, we were having the ability to instantly send out our services over the Internet where people literally around the world could watch it. So there is some beauty to this this incredible pace of technology we have. Like I heard a story last year about a guy who's using drones in Africa to be able to fly blood to remote hospitals for people who are having surgeries and need transfusions. So in a matter of an hour or less, he can actually send out fresh blood that folks need for life-changing surgeries and life-saving procedures as they send it out across the globe. We can connect with people across the world. You know, I think about times when, I've had the privilege of serving the Lord on a mission trip, or when my wife and daughter were gone one time to Thailand on a mission trip. And and I remember how incredible it was that we could actually like FaceTime with each other. I can actually see them as they're literally half a world away. And so there are some wonderful things about this technology and about this pace, but I would submit today that it's making it harder for us to wait. We just don't like it. We don't want to be still, but can I submit that although Maybe the pace of our life has changed. Um, The pace at which God operates has not. Often, God does some of his greatest work in us during those seasons of waiting. But boy, are they hard. This morning, as we dive into Genesis chapter 16, I I want to encourage you as we look at three responses that we find in this passage to what happens when we get tired of waiting. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you from the beginning They're all three bad. All right. In fact, I was realizing as I I was studying through this this morning, I'm not going to be able to develop it really well. But actually, there's some parallels here to what you find they talk about when you're confronted with danger or something you're afraid of. There's three main responses, right? There's fight, which is where I'm going to fight it out or uh, uh, flight. I'm going to run away from it or I'm going to freeze and just do nothing. And it's interesting because actually the three different reactions we see in this passage to these periods of waiting kind of line up with those three. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. As we go through the the account of Sarai and Abram and Hagar and all that God does there, we're gonna focus a lot on what they did wrong. But at the end, I wanna bring it all back again to the faithfulness of God, okay? So that's where we're headed this morning. So like I said, if you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 16, um, we'll be kind of jumping around through 16, pick up a little bit of 17 toward the end. But as we're doing this, I'm... Looking forward to getting further in Genesis because my Bible won't stay open that far, right? I keep having to lay my phone on it to keep it from closing on me. But as we've been going through, we've been seeing that God had made a promise to this guy named Abram that he would give him a son. What we'll find in this passage is it's been 10 years since God made that promise. Now, 10 years is a really long time when you're waiting on something. For instance, my middle daughter is 11 years old. So it's been just over that period of time that since we've had Emma in our life, and I cannot imagine and hardly remember life before God brought Emma to us. I've been here as pastor for about 11 and a half years now. When I think about the majority of that, when I think back to where I was 10 years ago, I knew a whole lot more 10 years ago than I do now. I don't know if any of you guys ever went through that, but, you know, I was 27 when I had the privilege of, of first starting pastoring here, and, and I'm so grateful for a church that would give, take a chance on a young guy, because I knew a whole lot then that I don't know that I'm as certain about now. There were, I knew exactly what we needed to do and exactly how we were going to get it accomplished, and God's shown me over time there was a lot of pride in that. But when I think about where we are, 10 years is a long time. 10 years of waiting when you've already been waiting for a long time. Remember, they were already old when this happened. When God made the promise that Sarah would have a child, they were already 75 years old, 65 years old. They'd already waited decades for a child. In fact, it's possible. We don't know. They lived longer than we did, so we don't know how long it would have been possible for her to conceive. It could be that this was at the tail end of that or past it. Any way you cut it, they had waited month after month after month of disappointment. Year after year after year after year. And now it's been 10 more years. So they start getting a little antsy. I don't know about you, but I sure would. In this, what we're going to see is we're going to watch how Sarai reacts first. Then we're going to look and see how her maidservant, Hagar, responds to what takes place. And then from there, we're going to settle in with Abram, because I think for many of us, we'll we'll find ourselves in one of these three reactions. How do we respond when we're tired of waiting? Well, let's dive in first off here in Genesis 16. Uh, First, we're going to start off with Sarai's part of the story. What we find from Sarai, which by the way, after this one, we can finally start calling her Sarah and Abram, Abraham, because this is where God changes their name over in chapter 17. But at this point, there's still Sarai, still Abram, still don't have a child. So picking up first off with Sarai, here's what we see. When we get tired of waiting, some of us are going to be tempted to get ahead of God. To get ahead of God. Read verses 1 through 3 here of chapter 16. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not born any children for him but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, remember, we don't know for sure, but it looks like this may have been a a result of their time where they went down to Egypt and lied and all those things, and God gave them these servants through Pharaoh and and all that. Remember, this is where Hagar may have come from, from that time where they ran off to Egypt. Now, she's got this Egyptian slave named Hagar. Verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave. She gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. So wait a second. Here's the deal. In those days, there were no fertility treatments. So it was not totally uncommon for a family of means to do this. If I can't get pregnant, then I want you to take one of my servants Impregnate her, and that counts as my kid, because she's my servant. We'll see this happen later on uh, as we see uh, this happening with Rachel and Leah and given their, their wife, or their or their, excuse me, their servants as concubines for them. Okay? So, so this was a pattern that happened in those days. But just because it's a pattern that happened doesn't mean that it was right. Sarah is sitting here and she said, "You know what? I've waited for God a long time on this." And she recognized that God was the one who had kept her from getting pregnant. We, we, understand, we don't understand why, but we know that God is the one who's the author of life. We don't understand why he works the way that he does, why he doesn't allow things certain times, why he does allow things other times. We don't fully understand that. But, but she says, hey, since God's kept me from getting pregnant, well, why don't you just have Hagar? It's interesting because as you notice, Genesis 2 made it very clear that the design for the home is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Any deviation outside of that is sinful and it brings about pain. We're gonna see that as we see how Sarai's plan worked out. But she'd gotten tired of waiting, so she tried to get ahead of God and come up with her own solution. Interestingly, by the way, this would actually have fulfilled the promise that God made up to this point, right? See, up to this point, God had said, Abram is going to have a son. He'd never mentioned Sarai in the middle of that. So, hey, I mean, sure, this is still Abram's kid, so why not? Now, in Genesis 17, in the next chapter over, we're going to see God make it explicitly clear that Abram and Sarai are going to have a child together who's going to be the son of the promise. But here, she says, well, I mean, it's still Abram's kid, so why not? Why not is because it went against the plan and character of God. God made it very clear from the beginning that his design for the family was one woman and one man for one lifetime. Okay? Okay. So let's be clear on that, where that is. Moving on. Sarai makes this proposal to Abram. And Abram says, that works for me. We don't really know. There's a lot you could think about with Abram's response there. I mean, he definitely was coming out ahead in this deal, right? But here's what's interesting. Can you think about another time in Genesis where there was a woman who was tempted to do something that God had said was wrong, whose husband didn't stop her, and then once it happened, they started blaming each other? You see, what you see here in chapter 16 is a parallel of what happens at the very first sin there at the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Where Eve was deceived by the serpent, she took some of the fruit and she gave it to her husband, just like Sarai had this plan, and she gave Hagar to her husband. And both times we see this tendency for us to get ahead of God and do what we want instead of what God tells us. How's it play out? Well, get down into verse four. Abram slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here, your slave's in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Isn't this funny? Sarai says, Hey, why don't you have a baby by Hagar? Hagar gets pregnant, and Sarai's like, What'd you do? It was your idea, right? Whenever things go wrong, we start pointing fingers. It's never my fault. It's never my responsibility. But the reality was, Sarai was the one who took the first steps of pushing this forward to get out of the plan of God and get ahead of what God was doing. And because of that, it caused a lot of problems. You see, it's interesting that it was her idea, but she blamed Abram. But again, this reflects a tendency that we've all had since the very first sin. God isn't doing what I want when I want it, so I'm gonna have to figure it out on my own. Maybe you'd say something like this: I've been honest at work, but I haven't gotten that promotion. So, you know, maybe it's time to play dirty, even if I've got to lie a little to get there. You know, I'll be faithful to the Lord when I get my degree and once I've got a job, but for now. Chat GPT is looking awful good for helping me write this paper. And I, I know it's cheating, but, but once I get that degree, I'll be in a place where I can honor the Lord. You know, I, I've been waiting. I've been trying to keep myself pure for that girl or for that guy that God wants me to marry, but it just doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. So maybe I need to compromise a little bit here, and then and then we can get right with Jesus once we get married. You see, we get tired of waiting. and And don't in any of this make me make it sound like I'm saying that, that it's not understandable, that these things didn't hurt. Sarah is disappointed. She's, she's frustrated. She's afraid. And so she just says, oh, I'm just going to come up with the best thing I can come up with. But she gets ahead of God, and it causes major problems. It causes problems within the home, as you see that Hagar starts belittling Sarah because she was able to do what Sarah never was. It causes problems then because Abram's being passive and and he's just, you know, kind of letting Sarai deal with it. This problem plagues them. There's this tension and dynamic that plagues them until finally Hagar gets sent away some like 15 or 16 years after this event. Not only that, the child that's born out of this arrangement ends up being a child that's led to a great nation. But this child, Ishmael, that we're going to talk about as as we go through this, his child family causes problems for the Israelites to this very day. Like, literally, guys, that's not a 2023 kind of exaggeration, hyperbole statement. The Palestinians who are fighting with the Israelis over control of that land are both descendants of Ishmael and descendants of Isaac. The Arab nations that are fighting against Israel to this day can be traced back to this decision. Now, I'm not saying that if you get ahead of God that you're going to have some kind of geopolitical, you're going to cause some geopolitical strife that's going to last until Jesus comes back. But I will say when we get ahead of God and think we can come up with our plan, it will always disrupt our relationship with God and it has the potential to destroy our relationship with other people. It always causes problems. You see, as you and I get ahead of God, We get this idea of, I'll just figure it out. I can do this. I'm smart. You know, I've got it. But that's the exact opposite of what Scripture calls us to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you probably have this embroidered on a pillow somewhere in your house, but it's so common because we need it so often. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know or acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. You know, there's no time limit to that. There's no, yeah, it, unless it's been like 10 years and it still hasn't worked out right, then, then you figure it out on your own. You know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, figure out what angle you need to work. No, waiting on God is without limit. I think about guys like George Mueller. I don't know if you're familiar with George Mueller. He was a, a guy that, that felt God had called him to live a life of extraordinary faith. And he had several orphanages that he was a part of over the years. This is back, I think, 1800s over in England. And he was one who God had worked in a unique way in his heart. He had determined that he would never ask anybody for anything. If the orphanage needed money, he wasn't going to come out to his richest friends and say, hey, guys, if you would just give us $1,000 this month, we'd be able to. No, he was going to simply pray and ask God to provide. Now, I think he would tell you, That's not always the best way of acting. That's not always required. But God had called Mueller to live in a very unique way to the point where he kept a, a fastidious journal where he'd write down every day what God was doing. In his journal, he'd write things like, this morning we ran out of bread. And then by like two in the afternoon, he'd write an entry that said, a bread truck broke down outside our orphanage. And I'm not kidding. Like it's Over and over, God provided above and beyond because he had to learn to trust him. Well, Mueller was praying for about five different people, if I recall correctly, that he wanted to see come to faith in Christ. During Mueller's lifetime, over the years, four of those men came to Christ, but the fifth didn't. You know when that fifth one gave his heart to Christ? At George Mueller's funeral. He had been waiting all his life for God to save this man, and it happened after he was already gone. Trusting in the Lord, waiting on him, not getting ahead. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you, that's your response? You're, you're the fighter, right? I'll figure this out, I got it. You're get ahead of God instead of waiting. Well, we'll talk about what you do instead at the end. But let's look at some of the other models here. Here's the second thing that we do. Maybe you're sitting there and you're, the, the situation where God has called you to wait is a painful one. It, you're, you're, just, you're getting the raw end of the deal. And so for you, it's not that you want to try to get ahead of God. You just want to get out of there. You want to get out of the situation. That's where Hagar finds herself. Now, at the very beginning, before we dive into any of these passages, let me give you a couple of quick caveats here, okay? We don't have time to deal with them in detail, but here's one thing: a couple of things I want to make clear. This is not the Bible condoning slavery or polygamy in any form, Okay. That's not what's taking place in this passage. The other thing, and this will be especially uh, something I want to be very sensitive to, this is not calling someone to stay or remain or return to in an abusive situation, okay? Now, I want to just make that very clear. If you're here today and you're in an abusive relationship and you need out, please talk to us and we will do everything we can help you get out and get safe. You can talk to me, talk to our deacons, you can talk to our wives. Um, we, We can't say we can for sure get you out today. We will work on what we can to get you to a safe place and do whatever we can to support you, okay? So let's make that clear just as we go through this. But here's what we find, right? So we've already been introduced to Hagar. Here, she's this Egyptian slave. She's been given to Abram as a wife. She gets pregnant, and what's her response? Well, to gloat about it a little bit. Isn't that what it seems like? We don't know for sure, but then if you go there in in verse 4, he slept with Hagar, she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. This is the same way that this word is used in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So, So she's basically cursing Sarai for the fact that she's been able to do what she couldn't. Right? Here I am, this young thing. We don't know how old she was, but she was of childbearing age. She was able to have a baby. Sarai never was. So she starts immediately putting Sarai down. Abram says, Look, she's your servant. You do with her what you want. So Sarai begins to mistreat her. We don't know the nature of what that is. We don't know what that looked like, but I imagine it was awful cold around those tents. It gets bad enough that Hagar gets to the point where she just has to run away. She sees no way out of it. She's just so tired of it. The only thing she can think of is, I got to get out. I got to. So verse seven, excuse me, verse six. So Sarah mistreated her so much that, the, that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? By the way, does that sound like Genesis 3? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring. There'll be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived, you'll have a son. You'll name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He'll settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? That's why the well is called lahai Roy. It's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son. Abram named him son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, Hagar is in an incredibly difficult situation. But about 15 to 16 years from this point, God is going to send Hagar away from Abraham. But it's not time yet. And so God calls her to go back to Sarai. Now, we're going to come back to this section at the end of the message and focus more on her conversation with this, this person, the angel of the Lord. For now, though, let's focus on Hagar and recognize that waiting on God required her to return to and remain in a difficult place. She had been so badly mistreated that she felt like her best option was to run away, but God called her to go back. God called her to go back. Do you realize that there may be a time when God calls you to stay in a situation that everything in you wants to run away from? That's hard. That's really hard. It's interesting, though, that there's specifics to her situation that make it a little different than what you or I would face. Remember, God's promise to Abram was, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, right? So she had been cursing Sarai, and so as she ran away from God, she was removing herself from the blessing that came from being a part of Abraham's family. It it seems strange, but but by by cursing Sarai and then running, she was, was coming under that promise that God said, I'll curse those who curse you. So so what God was calling her to do and actually inviting her back into was to come back into the place of blessing, of being where God had promised and called her to be. That's really hard. But God had a plan for this child, for for Ishmael, her son. He was going to keep his word to Abraham, that he would make him the father of many nations. He, He was going to do something in Abraham's son, Ishmael, even though this was outside of the promise that God had made. But Hagar had to go back. So for us, the the question is, are you willing to stay in painful circumstances? There may be something that God's doing in the waiting that you and I may never see. Are you willing to wait instead of trying to get out? Are you willing to stick it out and see what God does? Again, if you're in an abusive situation, seek to get out, get safe, I understand. But we can't just run when it gets hard, as tempting as that may be. Sometimes we have to stay somewhere painful while we wait for God to lead. So, is that your response? Are you allergic to pain, so you're gonna try to get out as soon as you can? We've seen two responses so far, get ahead of God. Number two, get out. But then let's look at Abram for a minute. Here's what we learn from Abram. He's a guy at this point who just gives in to the pressure. He just gives in to the pressure. God had given the promise to Abram. He knew better than to mess with it. And yet, when Sarah says, "Hey, why don't you just take Hagar?" All we see is him saying, "All right, why not?" I mean, what could it hurt? What could go wrong? You see, as you look through it, it's, it's fascinating to see that, that he reacts with this passivity. He says almost nothing in this passage. The focus is on Sarai and on Hagar, and what he does say is passive, right? Look, Hagar's your servant. You do with her what you want. Now, in some sense, he was establishing the hierarchy of the house again by saying that, but he had every right to say, look, you're the one who came up with this whole arrangement, and she's pregnant with my child, and so you need to treat her better. Abram had every right and responsibility to do that. He had every right to stop this before it even came up. Like Adam should have looked at Eve and said, not a chance, we're not touching that thing. Abram should have said, no, there's no way. God's made this promise and we're not gonna violate that. You're my wife and I don't know how it's gonna work, but I'm gonna trust in him. Instead, he just says, you know, that's what everybody else is doing, so sure, why not? He gave into the pressure. He gave into the cultural expectations. Instead of standing up for this woman, instead of standing up to his wife, it, it reminds me of how many of you have seen the, the HBO series Band of Brothers? It's old at this point, but man, it's a good one. Uh, my grandfather was a paratrooper in World War II, so uh, I, I will go ahead. Full disclosure, as your pastor, it's really rough, okay? Uh, just just know. It's M.A. for a reason. But in the, one of the interviews where they're interviewing some of the men who were part of Easy Company in World War II, they we're talking about one of their commanding officers. And they said he wasn't a bad leader because he made bad decisions. He was a bad leader because he made no decisions. You see, that's what Abram seems to be doing here. He's just going hands off on this whole deal. Guys, God has uniquely called us to lead our families. God's uniquely called us to to lead out in these things. And it's very tempting when we're tired of waiting and our wife comes up with some idea, just say, sure, why not? And go hands off. Whether you're a husband, whether you're a dad, whether you're even a a guy, it's still real easy for us to give into that pressure and just make no decision. No decision is a decision. We're giving in instead of standing on what God has said. By giving in and going along, he set a pattern that his descendants would follow, and he started a lineage of people who would fight with his children to the very, this very day. Reject the passivity that calls you to turn from what God said. Now, it's interesting. Go ahead and keep your finger there in 16, because we're going to come back to it. But turn over to 17. There's a 13-year gap between the end of chapter 16 and 17. 13 years, okay? Ishmael has been born and is now a teenager right? So God hasn't really reiterated the promise in those 13 years. But then finally, we see this is where God comes and changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he changes Sarai's name to Sarah because they're, they're exemplary of, of the promises that he's made. We don't have time to get into the details, but he reiterates this promise and makes it crystal clear that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a child of their own. So pick up in chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 15. God said to Abraham, ask for your wife, Sarai. Don't call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. That, by the way, is the name princess, because from her kings would come. Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abram fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abram said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. Now, it's really fascinating because it looks like Abram is trying to be a good dad. Abraham cares about this son of his. He wasn't the son of the promise. God has clearly said, look, I'm going to give you and Sarah a child. And he spelled it out as clearly as he could. And Abraham's reaction is, yeah, right. Can, can a 100 year old man have a kid with a 90 year old woman? Are you serious? Then he says, I think something interesting because he says, can, can't we just use Ishmael? Why can't, why can't that just work? Now, I, I don't know Abraham's motives fully, but here's what I think is happening. We're now 25 years removed from the first promise. 13 years removed from the, the first time that we, we see him even have a child. I think Abram didn't want to get his hopes up. I think Abraham is giving in not just to, to the cultural oppression, but he says, look, I've, I've already got a son. Why don't we just use him? Because that's easier for me. That's, that's not as risky for me as trusting that you'll actually let me have a child with Sarah, my wife. I, I just, just use Ishmael. Because he's giving into the pressure and he's giving into disappointment. I just, I can't get my hopes up. I, I'm scared about it. Because in both accounts, he's giving in. We're tempted to do the same. We give in to the pressure and compromise like Abraham did, or we give in to despair and give up hoping that we'll, God will actually fulfill his promises like he said. We give up. We fail to hold on to the fact that he's going to give us his peace or to save this person we've been praying for or, or to work in this kind of thing. We're, we're praying for a change in the situation, but maybe we stop because we just can't be disappointed again. Now, we have to be careful here because God had made a crystal clear ironclad covenant with Abraham that he would make him a great nation. God hasn't promised that he's going to save everybody that we're praying for. He hasn't promised that every marriage is going to be restored or every health issue is going to be solved in this life in the way we want it to be. But at the same time, There's an aspect of faith where we need to be willing to pray in spite of disappointment and say, God, I don't want to give in to just doing things the way that everybody else is. I want to trust because here's what we do have a promise of. We have the promise of a God who never changes. Let's see how he revealed himself in this passage. This is where I want to bring it in. So, so we've all seen, we, we either get ahead of God and come up with our own plan. We try to get out of the situation before God's ready to deliver us from it, or we just give into the pressure and just go along with whatever's taking place. But here's what I want you to do instead. Instead, in the middle of the waiting, when you're tired, when you're just worn out, when you're frustrated, when you're afraid, instead, dig deep and grab onto the promise that he is the same God who showed himself to Hagar that day. Go back to Genesis chapter 16, flip it back over. When you're looking at this passage, you see him talking about this person known as the angel of the Lord. We'll see the angel of the Lord come up multiple times throughout the Old Testament, but this is the very first time we ever see the phrase, the angel of the Lord. Now, angels, the word angels is kind of comes from a Greek word that means messengers, The angels we see in the the, the Bible are usually God's messengers. They're bringing some kind of message. But there's something different about this particular angel. See, when you you look at it, it goes down and it says there in verse uh, verse 10, it says, the the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring. There'll be too many to count. Who did he say would multiply the offspring? He said, I will, right? So the angel says, I'm going to be the one who's going to multiply your offspring. That's not an angel's job. Later, when she talks about this encounter, she says, have I seen the Lord who has seen me? So most scholars, we can't be certain, but most scholars believe that anytime you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, if it says an angel, maybe just a different angel. But if it says the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. In other words, before Jesus came to earth and took on flesh as a baby there that we celebrated at Christmas, before that took place, this is Jesus showing up. So who is the first person who gets to see God show up this way? An Egyptian runaway slave who's pregnant. It's not some massive figure in the history of of, it's not it's not abraham although god had spoken to abraham it's it's not anybody that you would think of it's it's somebody that everybody would have disregarded and yet this is the first person who meets jesus one who yeah brought some of it on herself but had been so mistreated that she ran away and hid and yet that's who jesus comes to in this he doesn't come to Abraham. He doesn't come to Sarai. He comes to Hagar out in the wilderness. Listen, what's so beautiful here? As she talks to him, the angel of the Lord, verse 11, says, you have conceived and will have a son. You'll name him Ishmael. Ishmael means the Lord, or that God hears. That God hears. But why? For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. To one of the lowest of the low, in the lowest point of her life, waiting to see God work, God shows up and says, I have heard your cry. I've heard it. I know. You'll name him Ishmael because I've heard your cry of affliction. Then verse 13, so she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy. That literally translates as God sees me. God sees me. How do we keep from getting ahead of God or getting out of the situation or giving into the pressure? Because we recognize that this God who's calling us to wait for whatever it is, this God... who's who's working behind the scenes with things that we don't know, we don't understand, we can't wrap our head around. This God is the God who sees me. Out of the 8 billion people on earth right now, he sees me. He sees you. He saw an Egyptian slave running from being mistreated, and he sees you. In the same way, he's the God who hears your cry. He knows. He knows this is hard. Say, well, Sean, that doesn't fix it. That doesn't change. I wish I could fix it. Whatever it is for you, whatever you're waiting for. I I wish I could resolve it. I wish I could settle it. I'm not God. But what I know is that The God who's called you not to get ahead of him is the God who sees and knows exactly what you're going through. The God who's calling you to remain in that difficult situation sees and knows what you're going through. The God who's calling you not to give in to the pressure or not just to give up on hope, that same God sees you and knows you. Not only that, this is the God, as he appears to Hagar in the wilderness, this is the same God who takes on flesh, who walks among us, who smells the smell of diseased people, who's around the dead, who's around the lame, who changes all of these things and then eventually hangs on the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. This is the God who sees. This is the God who hears. This is the God who's there with you in whatever it is you're waiting for. So don't run away. Don't get ahead. Don't give in. Rest in the God who sees and the God who hears and the God who knows. Would you bow your head with me this morning and close your eyes? I don't know what you're waiting on this morning. I don't know what decision you need God to guide you in, what you're enduring. I I don't know. There may be things in your own heart that you're the only person in this room who knows about. You may be the only physical person in this room today who knows, but there's a God in heaven who knows. There's a God who sees. There's a God who hears your cries. So maybe your prayer this morning, if you already have a relationship with Jesus and you're in that waiting stage, maybe your your prayer this morning needs to be gone. I was getting ready to make this decision, but I, I feel like maybe that's getting ahead of you. So would you help me to trust you and wait? God, I've been looking for a way out of this because I, I just am so frustrated, so tired, so hurt. But if you're calling me to stay, I'll stay. God, you know what compromises I was ready to make. But I want to honor you. So I'm not going to give into to the pressure. And you know how discouraged I've been, how disappointed I've been, but I'm not going to give into to that. Instead, I'm gonna believe that you're the God who knows what he's doing. God was faithful to give Hagar a child who became a great nation. God was faithful to use Sarah and Abraham to bring a child whose life would change the world. As their great, 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 great grandson would hang on the cross and die in our place, be raised from the dead to give us new life. So despite them responding in fear, they still couldn't destroy the faithfulness of God. So I'll give you a minute just to to reaffirm your trust in him. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'm gonna come down front. I'm just gonna step down in front of these stairs and you can come down here and talk with me. Well, as soon as I stop talking, you just, just come down here. And I'd love to talk with you about how to come into that relationship with the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who's there. Let's do business with God, and then I'll close us in prayer in just a moment. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when you wrote about great people like Abraham, you showed us their flaws as well. You showed us that we need a savior. God, I'm sure that in the room this size, there are people who are just flat, tired of waiting. Would today you, through your spirit, strengthen their hearts for them to trust in you today? And that's such a cliche thing, God, I pray that it would go far beyond just some kind of trite saying, but that their hope, their heart would just be so rooted and anchored in you. We know you're the God who sees. We know you're the God who hears. So help us to go out from here living like that. Help us to wait. Help us to keep doing the last thing you told us to do until you tell us to do something different. Help us to be faithful, not to get ahead of you, not to give into the pressure, not to try to get out of it if it's not your desire, but to honor you in the middle of this time of waiting. Thank you for hearing our cries. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.